Welcome to the University of Adversity, where the only rules of the class is to hold your head up high and keep moving forward. Because when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And now, here's your host, Lance Isios. This episode is brought to you by Mike Young, the makeover master. Do you feel your business image might be costing you money, influence, power, and respect? Then head over to themakeovermaster.com to discover what their complete brand makeover experience is all about. Go check it out right now because everybody deserves to look their best. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. My next guest is the host of the podcast, Being Mother Hustler, which is all about empowering mothers and inspiring them to do amazing things. She's also a very successful entrepreneur with a wide range of skills that are helping a ton of people every single day. She has had to overcome some very difficult times early in her life, uh, which has led her to where she is today. And I'm super excited to dive into her story. Welcome to the show, Kareen Mills. Thank you so much for having me, Lance. I'm super excited to get to talk to you and get to talk to your audience through this podcast. Adversity is like something that I really love to talk about. Yeah, awesome. And I'm really excited because... You know, we, we connected, you know, we're doing similar things. Um, I was on your podcast, which is amazing. Before I get into your story, let me, what is being Mother Hustler? I want to yeah. hear what it is, you know, how, you know, tell us about that, first of all. Well, there's, you know, a lot of people, Mother Hustler is becoming such a mainstream play of word from, you know, there's mama printers. There's mompreneurs, there's all kinds of play of words, but the mom entrepreneur tribe is rising above um, in every level because we're not allowing being mom to stop us from chasing our dreams, but we're also not allowing our dreams to stop us from being a great mom. And so mother hustler came about because a hustle word is another mainstream word through the entrepreneurial world. Um, but um, when you look at mom entrepreneurs, we decided that Ma- Mother Hustler is just such a, it rolls out the tongue perfectly. <laughs> but then there's, you know how they talk about wannapreneurs and Mother Hustlers that are like calling themselves that, but they're really, are they really doing it? Are they really being able to juggle everything, every hat that we wear. So I guess being mother hustler by adding the being word in there is essentially putting action to just the word, you know, like taking imperfect, massive imperfect action, because there's a lot of us that wants to wait until it's perfect before we take action. But the right thing to do is to take action and then along the way you tweak things, not quite perfecting things, but you get it better and better, almost like a laboratory experiment. And I think being a mother hustler is that person, a higher level mom entrepreneur who is not afraid to fail, who is putting their kids on the top of their list. And them being there with them on that same level of the list. Because many times as a mom, we forget ourselves. We, we're not even like, before I wasn't even on my list. It was everybody else on my list, you know? 
And so chasing my dreams side by side, and I always say this amazing 24-7 job called motherhood. And that's what I'm being mother hustler is all about. I love it because there's so many mothers out there who are afraid to take action with a different thing. You know, being a mother has got to be the hardest job on the planet. And um, I just love how you actually, you know, you walk the walk, you know, you show up and I, I can really appreciate it. You're out there, you're, you're sharing, you're sharing value and it's truly an inspiration. So um, there's a lot of mothers out there that will be listening to this. So I'm super, super excited just to show them how, how you became where you are today. So maybe let's, let's dive deep. Let's pull back the curtain a bit of where you came from. Let's, uh, let's hear this growth. And I'm super excited to uh, dive into this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm such a business oriented person, but, um, so I was, I grew up in like domestic violence. You know, I watched my mother and dad, um, wrestled when they were fighting over something and mainly because my dad was a gambler and my mom was literally a mother hustler like everything she would do side hustles just to feed the family because um, my dad would always steal the money that she had including her business capital and so she would scramble at the end of the week to find something else to do to bring the bacon home because my dad was always stealing her money um, to go gamble. So I watched my mom and dad wrestle. And, I, and I, not only that, I also watched my mom struggle to no end. Not because she wasn't, she didn't know what to do or what to, or how to make money. But she had six children. There were six of us. And she needed to feed the family because no one else was going to. My dad wasn't going to feed the family. And I remember growing up, um, my mom sold chicken in the open market. And I, you know, growing up, I helped my mom, like, kill those chickens, <laughs> essentially, and skin them and take their feathers and dip them in hot water, like, at 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. So early on, I watched my mom... Um, have that kind of work ethic to really figure things out, but not in the greatest sense because it was a struggle. She didn't have a high school diploma. So my mom didn't have a lot of options. She had to do whatever she could to scrape by. And I remember growing up, that's why I appreciate so much things now because I remembered when my mom used to feed us this, the chicken that she she almost couldn't sell, almost like an expired chicken, right? And she would wash it and she'd cut it in like popcorn slices and she would wash it with vinegar and salt and bathe it with garlic, onions, and just like make it smell so good. And she'd bread it and fry it and we would eat, we would eat those because that was it for her. That was all she could do. She was just trying her best. And I remember when six kids, we always left a little bit of like food without even talking to each other, just so we can create a meal for my mom because my mom would not eat until everybody else was done. You know, like, so my podcast, I get real emotional talking about this because we were kids and we didn't even know we were doing that. Um, 
my podcast actually started as more of like a project because I was part of a mastermind and every month we had a project. And my project was going to be, you know, I've always been fascinated with podcasts just to kind of take you through why that story has a lot to do with the Being Mother Hustler podcast. Um, when I launched the podcast, I specifically launched it on Mother's Day last year. So everything that I do is for moms, you know, whether they're mom entrepreneur or moms that are like struggling like my mom or moms that are super successful because we all know even success is temporary, right? Yeah. So, so when I started the podcast, it was going to be a laboratory for me to gather information of what makes mom entrepreneurs tick what makes mom entrepreneurs or what are their needs so I can kind of pr provide the solution to the gap of their needs. So I was trying to interview these moms to identify the needs so I can create a course for them, like a, not just a course, but like a boot camp for them to help them through their struggles. Like I wanted to be, to be somebody to them that my mother never had, if that makes sense like somebody to help them and advocate for them and do all these things by providing courses and coaching and all these stuff. But then as I went on interviewing mom entrepreneurs, I realized that it was starting to heal me from that, you know, from that not so good childhood experience that I had every time I listened to their story and, you know, as a podcaster, we become very good at listening. And the more I was sitting down and interviewing them and listening to their story, the more I was okay with my own story. So not only that I was heal, healing, and I still am healing, right? But I am also given, I thought I was the one that's holding the space for them because it became that space that I wanted to hold for my mom. I wanted to fix everything for my mom, but I couldn't as a six-year-old child, obviously. And so, and so the podcast became that space I've always wanted to hold for my mom. So not only it, it is a space to hold for mom entrepreneurs to validate them that they're not alone out there, that the struggle is real and the hustle is real, right? But also to evaluate them and give them value that even if you're not bringing money home, you're still a valuable part of society because you're building up the future leaders of this world. You're raising the future leaders of this world by being a stay-at-home mom because there's a tendency with stay-at-home moms to feel like they're not as good as a mom entrepreneur. So there's that, you know, there's that segregation between, oh, you're just a stay-at-home mom. And then there's the segregation of, I'm a, badass because I'm a mom entrepreneur. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, that's the thing. They, they think because I, I, I could see why that would be somebody that's staying at home, maybe not, doesn't feel like they're doing as much as let's say an entrepreneur, but that's not the case. And I love how you kind of paint the picture that you can be both. And there's so much value in both of those. And mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, it's super powerful. And thank you so much for sharing. I just, I want to dive back into, into this is that just the one note I made. I, um, I used to work in a casino. I used to work in the bar at a casino and I used to see 
Um, you know, people sit there for hours going mm-hmm. back and forth. They, their winnings back to the, they, they get, come get a beer from the, you know, as a bartender, they go back and then they would just spend their last dollar. And you, you can't help but think to yourself, why are you not at home right now? You know, like you don't have enough money. Sometimes they didn't have enough money to pay for the beer and, you know, that they're spending a lot in the casino. Now, I know that must have been very tough on your family. You know, how, how did, was your, was your dad present or was he always gone? Like, tell us about your dad and how that really, you know, and if that helped you in any way at becoming who you are today by going through that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely did because it gave me the drive that I do have now and the burning desire that I have. Um, my dad was always absentee. Like sometimes it disappear for two days, three days. And how you describe with the people that you saw at casinos, like, why are you here? Why aren't you at your house? It's exactly like what my dad was. He got so addicted to, like he has an addictive personality. And I think I got my addictive personality from my dad, but I think I'm using it for good, right? I'm addicted to good. Um, I'm addicted to being a great mom. I'm addicted. So I think as a human being, we're always going to have this addictive nature and addictive personality. It's just a matter of how do you channel those addiction, right? Are you going to be an addict of coffee? So unfortunately with my dad, he, he literally, like I love my dad because he's part of who I am and, and brought me out to this world. And growing up as Catholic, we honor our parents regardless of how good or bad they are. It's just something that we are forever indebted for them. But he was always gone. Like, and when he came home, we were almost better without him. Is that sad? Like, no, it makes sense. I, I can totally understand what you, what you mean. We, we almost loved it when he was not around because when he came, he always wreaked havoc. Like it was always such a mess when he came because he would come home drunk. Because this is by the time that he comes home, he's, he's tapped out. He has no more money, right? He'd come home drunk. My mom used to catch him womanizing, um, you know, and unfortunately in our culture, in the old, old school culture, two generations ago, that pretty much like my mother's mentor has taught her that no matter how good or bad your man is, once you get married to them, they're, you're there for them forever. Like, you know, nowadays it's like up to a point, right? Like the modern women is like up to a point, but for my mom, he, she was so dedicated to the whole entire family as a family unit. And she was brainwashed that the woman holds the glue, the family together, you know, which is true up to a certain point. But then when my dad came home, that's when they would wrestle because he would try to take my mom's money away. And, you know, probably without intention, pushed my mom away and became more of a violent thing than anything. Throw chairs at my mom. And um, take our television, you know, take our tube television and go sell it just so he could generate money. My grandma had always been an educator and very big on education. She was then living in America. So she would send my sister 
money for our education because we all have a college degree because of my grandma. Even though we were poor, my grandma always valued education. So she would send all this money, but my sister would be the handler of the month of the finances. So after my dad would wreak havoc with my mom, he would wreak havoc with my oldest sister and try to take away our college money and anything that we are supposed to pay for tuition. So the way that it has changed me is number one, I, you know, I resented my mom when I became a teenager because at first I wanted to fix everything for her. But during my second decade, I started resenting her why she would put up with it. Like I hated her for that. Why she would, she would put her kids through that. Like I thought you love us, but you don't, you know? Yeah. It was such a different era. You know, it was, people weren't allowed to speak out about anything. It was like, it was like you were failing. It was, it was like, it was a weakness. And I, I can say the same for my grandparents, you know, and my parents split up, but my grandparents fought and fought and installed that into my dad. And, you know, it back then that was just, if you, if you split up, you're, you failed. And that was just that old mentality and the religious side of things. It made it very difficult because, you know, once the word gets out, you know, you look like you failed your family and that's not the case, but back then it was just different. And I could see, you know, I could see why people would be upset with their mother for not leaving. But then obviously you have to look that she was just doing it out of love because she didn't want to lose what she had. Right. So it's, it's such a, it's such a hard thing to talk about, you know, and even when we talked about it in my, in, on your podcast about my story, you know, just to see reverse sides of it, you know, how, how, how that, that has that effect on you, you know, projecting you forward. So um, thank you so much. Now from, Okay, so from there, you you got a college, you, you got a university education. We can maybe tap into like what you did, and was what you ended up doing something that like what you're doing now is that something that you kind of had planned, or did you have like another thing that you know your grandma and your mom had planned for you that you decided that you were going to make a change because it's what you wanted? Yeah. So education has always been, you know how like if you split up, it's a failure, but if you didn't go to college, you're automatically a failure. So it was almost like a notoriety that I went to college, that's my ticket, I'm good to go, right? And a lot of us third world kids, we want to come to America, Canada, UK, any kinds of first world country. The only thing or the only thing that can get us here is our education, it, that that was at least our belief, and that was what we were made to believe. And so um, I have a bachelor's degree in science and accounting, but I, I hate accounting. <laughs> I The reason that I went into accounting is I've always wanted to be a lawyer, and um, a trial lawyer for that matter. And a lot of like lawyers in the Philippines wanted their, their four-year, their first four-year degree is in accounting or business. I don't know why in a political science, those three were their um, pre, um, pre-graduate studies. So that's what I studied so that I could transition into be- becoming a lawyer and go to law school. Well, unfortunately, which is fortunate, kind of, we receive our, um, around that time that I only had one semester left in accounting, 
I actually didn't finish because we received our sponsorship letter from the American Embassy because my grandma was already had already been working up a sponsorship for us for the last 12 years. Imagine we waited 12 years to finally get that letter. And when we finally get, got that letter, it was only one more semester. So I actually came back or I came to America with one semester left. I worked my butt off because I didn't want to think about home. I didn't want to have a downtime because during downtime was when I really cried a lot because I was homesick. So I worked two jobs and made a lot of money and not spend the money. And when I finally got enough money, I funded myself to go back home and finish my education to get my degree. And I've always wanted to be, um, if I wanted, if I wasn't going to be a lawyer, I wanted to be a banker. And I always was so fascinated with handling money. And I think it's the entrepreneurial thing in me. So, and also the nice suits that the bankers wore, it was like, you know, I looked up to them. And so when I got my first check in America, I actually didn't know what to do with it because I'd never had a bank account. You know, I was actually in transition from being a kid to an adult when we left the Philippines. So I never had to deal with any of that. And you know, the things that we take for granted in America. So I took my check back to HR and I said, I would like cash, please. And so I gave it back to her and she's like, no, 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 you got to go to the bank and do this. Anyways, when I got to the bank, I ended up asking, like, I always ask, like, how do I get a job here? Short, I mean, long story short, I became a banker and I was um, in banking for eight years. I didn't do what I wanted to do, but it kind of just like my life just led me to who I have become now. But it also took me full circle to understand that, wait a minute, this is why I'm doing this because I start like digging deeper into my subconscious mind as I'm doing my podcast and I'm serving the mom entrepreneurial world and talking to mom entrepreneurs and coaching them to become really good in their business. So um, I hope that answers your question. Um, the other piece that I wanted when I was in elementary is I wanted to be a journalist. Like I always wanted to be in the action and a journalist in like the war zone. That's like who I wanted to be when I was a child. And then a lawyer, but a lawyer, like very specific, right? A lawyer that is in trial all the time, a trial attorney. And always wanted to be in action. But what better way to be in action than to being an entrepreneur all the time? Yeah, for sure. Do you, do you think that a lot of that has to do with movies and stuff? That, I mean, when you're young, you sort of see these things on movies and TV. And you think, because I, I wonder myself, I, I think if I didn't see all those movies and all these things, like how would I look at life differently? Would I want to be those things? Do you think that had a big impact? And also yeah. like maybe maybe paint the picture of what it was like coming to the States, you know, yes. what kind of changes, what was different, how, you know, like you just got here and you're like, Whoa, this is, this is crazy. What was that feeling that like, where's this, where's that? Like, what am I going to do? I want to hear like what it felt like. That is a great question because there's a lot in, in, in that answer. Um, it was a shock, you know, you come, and I had very broken English. So my English now is super, super duper good compared to my English when I came. Not only that I had broken English, I had the inferiority complex, meaning I'm inferior than a lot of these people that like self-confidence, you know, self-esteem. 
I was always shy. I was very timid until I went into the banking industry and I took a sales job. The defining moment in my sales career is really in business and entrepreneurial career was when my boss was going to send me home because I wasn't asking. I wasn't simply asking people that went through my window and I was just being transactional. And he was, he took me to the back and said, you either go home or you start asking. And I'm like, I'm going to start asking. And then I just took off from there. But to put it in context for you, when I came here, I had no car. I had no penny to my name. Uh, Maybe my grandma would give us $20 here and there. And we would go to thrift shops, taking the bus. I actually just did a story to thank a lady that I used to work with in the banking industry. And she was my fellow teller. When I started, it was her birthday yesterday, and I did a story and tagged her because she made a difference in my life. She always gave me rides because the way that I did it, because I wanted to occupy myself for, um, for the first few couple of years in America, I actually worked for Walmart as a full-time cashier from three to midnight. And the way that I got that job was I found a life hack. So when I gave my, so we came here May 5th of 2000 and I got the job 20 days later because of a life hack that I saw. When I handed my application to the Walmart lady, she would always put it on the top and then there'd be people handing after me and then she would put it on the top of that. So it made my application on the lower and every, so every week I gave a new application. So I'm always on the top and Then I got the job in 20 days, but um, I still had a lot of downtime because three to midnight, you know, during the day, I had a lot of downtime. So I, as soon as I got a job at at a banking industry as a tell, I was a part-time teller working 10 to two. And then I would walk to Walmart because I had no car, no bike, no, no mode of transportation. I would walk to Walmart um, probably about a mile while eating my lunch from two so I can get there by three and clock in on time because I didn't have time to eat if I waited to get there. So I would do all those and be efficient with my time. And then I would come home by midnight. My sister and I shared a bedroom, a bed. So we would like look up the ceiling, lay on the bed and start crying because it was quiet and we start talking about home and she she also worked late in the jewelry um in a jewelry shop so we would just like sit there and and hold each other's hands and start crying you're so strong that's wow i mean it's, it's incredible we were I was 21. She was 18. You know, you're already adults. You had friends. You had um, actually had a boyfriend when I left. And in our culture, we have to go with our parents unless we're married. So we would cry every single night um, until we would not cry anymore. Talk about home. And then we just started having a life and... um, started having fun and having friends and all that good stuff. But the thing that happened to me in the beginning too is, is the, um, my dad got this car for a dollar from his sister in Georgia and he let me drive the car 
without letting me know that I was not an insured driver of the car. It was about 21 years old, and then we I got it into a um, head-on collision accident, car accident. And so shortly after, we were sued $18,000 by um, the insurance company of the other place. So you can only imagine, and that was actually my first big ever adversity in America. I'm talking about adversity. Um, that was my biggest one um, when I came. And I was, you can only imagine, 21 years old, named in a lawsuit with my dad, um, 18 grand. I was making $7.25 at Walmart and $10 and I don't know how, like in change at Wells Fargo. And I had nothing. And so it was, it was very traumatic for me. And literally like every time around, around that adversity, I just wanted to throw everything away and go back home and because home was better. It's weird for us immigrants because we want to come here so bad. But then when we get here, we don't know anything, you know, systems, all kinds of stuff. And if we don't know anything or we don't educate ourselves or we don't have any guide. So I had a, a lot of family here, but they had their own lives and we never really had any kind of guidance. Um, it can really mess you up. And um, I cried a lot, you know, on top of being homesick, the lawsuit, not knowing really what to do. Um, I ended up paying that lawsuit by myself because my dad doesn't make, I made more money than my dad. So I said, you know what, I'll take care of it. Wow. Wow. Sorry. No, that's fine. I mean, I I just, I I love this and I, I appreciate it so much for sharing because it's so deep and everyone listening out there, like it's, it's just so powerful to hear what she's gone through. And I can't wait to take it to the next, like how you got to where you are today. But first I just want to talk about one thing now, gratitude, how important and how much do you value gratitude? Now, when you look back in hindsight and you look at where you came from and now what you have, like how important is that in your life? Because a lot of people talk about gratitude, but a lot of people don't really, well, I don't, I can't speak for anybody else, but when I first started, I didn't really understand what it meant to be grateful. And um, for yourself, maybe talk us through, you know, what gratitude means to you and how you use it in your life. It's funny. It's funny when I eat out or I'm, I'm eating, even my husband, when he sees me eating, like I clean my plate, you know, and I think every, and I, Americans like always leave something on their plate. And I always like, if I know them good enough, I reach out to their plate and I said, don't leave anything because do you realize how many people in this world don't get to eat? And I think that comes from that experience that, you know, watching my mom waiting for everybody to finish and if there was any food left, she would not eat. And, and a lot of the kids just would leave a little to make a meal for her. So gratitude, like to the last grain of rice on my plate, I, I will clean it because I don't like to waste anything. And I guess that's, that's a smaller scale of gratitude, but the bigger scale of gratitude is um, 
when I started here and I overcame the lawsuit and I became very good at my job and I became a VP in banking and I started owning my business and having a brick and mortar insurance practice for seven years, I guess I forgot about gratitude and and just to be transparent and vulnerable about that because I started seeing the shiny objects. I started, I started feeling like I've arrived. I've started being cocky about my success and I started being, I I started forgetting about being grateful and it was just like drive, 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 drive. I was super driven because I never wanted um, to depend on a man. And, And that comes from watching my mom not having any options. So I, I swore I'd never want to depend on a man. And I always looked at like, I'm going to have the most power. I'm going to make a lot of money because I want to make sure that if a man were to ever treat me like they treated my mom or like my dad, I would so like in a heartbeat be gone and knowing that I have options, but that's good. But, and that's bad too, because I just went and went and went without even like, okay, where did I come from looking back to what I went through and being thankful for what, how, I got here. So I forgot to do a lot of those reflections when I was in corporate America. And the one thing that kind of woke me up was I became a mom and I haven't always been this great mom that I am today. And I can honestly say that I am a great mom today, but it's, it's a mom 2.0 version of me because when I, when I became a mom, I wasn't really a mom because I was still going after the grandeur of owning your own business. I was still going after the income, like all these illusional stuff in life, that things, great car, big houses. So when I woke up to the reality, it was actually when I was running late to go pick up my kids. And I was always, I was there, but I'm never like... I, I'm physically around my kids, but I there weren't like a priority for me. My career had always been a priority for me until I ran late and I was taking care of a customer and I ran late picking them up and I, about an hour late and the school called and said, Miss Mills, we're going to have to call the cops if you continue this trend because I had a trend that I was always late. And on the way there, I just started crying because I felt like the most awful mom. And this was like four years into my insurance practice. So I actually picked up my kids and promised them that this will never happen again. And I'm going to change something. And so the first part of that change was I actually left the country with my best friend, Jessica. And we went and backpacked Southeast Asia in June 2013. And it was a soul searching moment for me because... Because I feel like I was, I went through a lot of bad stuff, but now I feel like I'm so successful, but I still feel the same. Like there's, I'm successful from, like, if you looked at me, I looked successful, but the inside of me was empty. Like I still didn't feel like I'm fulfilled. I think that's the word I was, I was trying to use. So I left and um, I backpacked Southeast Asia Um, went to five countries and you don't have to do a lot of these that I did, but I felt the need because I hadn't 
I hadn't like gotten any vacation. I worked 16 hour days since I started my, because I was just driving and driving and driving and driving, like hustling. And hustle is such a mother hustler is a softer word than just the hustle because hustle is such a forced word, you know, and I'm all about the flow versus force. So now that I'm here, I, I, and I own it that I used to be so cocky because I was so super successful. Now I am more um, aware. I learn how to every day I practice gratitude. Every time I get in my car, I, I say thank you for this car. You know, I have, I, I drive a nice car, but it's not, I just like driving a nice car. Um, but things does not own me or doesn't control me anymore. Money doesn't control me anymore. I control it. And when I eat, before I eat, I say thank you. And before I go to bed, I just say thank you. Like never ending. Thank you. Gratitude. I'm thankful I'm talking to you and I have the opportunity to share this story. Oh, I'm very grateful because this is gold. This is, um, I, I didn't even think we were, we were going to get this deep and this meaningful in this. And I'm so happy we did because um, anyone listening out there, like this is, this is powerful because, you know, you have showed how you've overcome so many different things, so many different adversities, you know, from a tough childhood like that and then coming to a new country and then going and getting a finishing school and then going to a job and, it's, it's like you've been in like a constant challenges, you know, constant challenges have come and you've rose above. So that's truly inspiring to everyone listening. And I'm just, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Now, I really want to know what's a day in your life look like? What are you doing now? You, you left that industry, you got into this, you got married, had kids. Maybe from, from that point, tell us about your family a little bit and where are you at? What do you do now other than, uh, you know, being a mother hustler? Oh, I would love to. So I, my boys are like my priority. Since that moment that I was late and I was like, we're going to call the cops on you. You're always late. When I said I was going to change it, that was the moment that I changed it. So I started looking for options. You know, I thought I was going to be a career agent, to be honest with you. I thought I've arrived when I owned my own state farm insurance practice and I had four staff members like I thought that was it and when I transitioned out of there I gave them like a three-month notice to find a replacement and when I transitioned out of there I really didn't have a lot of game plan I was just done with it um when I opened my my firm I actually in 2008 my husband lost his job he was one of those people that lost his job so not only that we had a new business, I also had to make sure we made money in the business. So um, he ended up staying home with the kids. And maybe that's why I was really spoiled about not paying attention to my family a lot because I had a husband that was stay at home. And I was just focusing on and also stressed out on, you know, am I going to make money this month for the family? I literally was like my mom, but in a different situation because obviously I wasn't going through I didn't have a bad husband. I have a really good husband. And so, but I always had to figure things out, you know? And so when I went through that and I left, I still 
I'm doing insurance, but servicing my current clients. And I have a lot of loyal clients that are still coming to me, but partnering with a lot of other people. So I would give them the referral. It's almost like I'm like a marketing machine. So I would give it to them, but I have the ability to receive compensation because I have the licenses. I maintain my license. I've had the licenses for 11 years. But the main thing that I do is really being um, an influencer in the community. So we talk about being an influencer online, but in the community, um, really just like serving the community. And one of the biggest projects, well, let me describe to you my day. So in the morning, I bring my kids to school. You know, I woke up up really early in the morning, 4 a.m., and you know, 4 to 5.30 is me time and meditation and, you know, all the things that we do spiritually and work in our work on our mind, body, and spirit. And then once the boys are up, it's, you know, I have no more of my life. My life is all theirs. So, you know, make their meals, make their lunch for, you know, get everybody on schedule, make sure everybody gets out of the house on time. And then I drive them to, to school. And what's amazing about this whole entire technological advancement that we have is we listen to podcasts on the way to school. And if we don't finish the podcast, we listen to it on the way home. And so while they're in school, that's when I hustle from my office hours, 9 to 2.30. That's when my boys are in school. That's the window I have. And I can get a lot of things done more than a normal person can do. In, it, in their entire day. Like I can get a whole week's work wor- worth of work in between nine to two thirty. And, you know, I, I use a lot of systems. I'm not organized. So I, I just want to let everyone know that it's not easy. Therefore, because a lot of people say you make it look so easy. I don't know how you do all the things well, that you do. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, we need to sit down and I need to, uh, I need to figure out what you're doing because yeah. <laughs> I definitely am lacking in that area. But uh, sorry, go ahead. Like I'm not, so I just want to say I have never been the most organized person. This is why having a system is super duper important because the system will force you to be organized, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. Um, I never eat lunch alone. So the way that I kind of build my influence in the community is I take, I just take people out to lunch. I don't know if something that Mel Robbins posted the other day had really resonated with me is recognizing people around you. That's all I do. I recognize people around my community, um, take people out to lunch, let them, you know, eventually when you do that, you're always giving, giving, giving. Like they literally, you guilt them into asking you like, okay, you never ask me for anything. You're always giving me something. What, what do you need this month? You know? So I'll give you an example. I am raising $250,000. I have a campaign coming up. I've raised, um, I love philanthropy. I raised $600,000 for the level three NICU, which is a a neonatal intensive care unit for the local hospital. My youngest son was a level three patient. He was three months premature. So in 2010, he was born in 2009, three months premature. He's amazing kid now, you know, 
But in 2010, about a year later, I helped raise 600000 for the Level 3 NICU. So it's very wow. near and dear to my heart. And then in March, coming in soon, we're raising $250,000. And I have a team. And this is, this is the cool thing is I've been serving the community for so long that when you, it's time for you to ask, there's no no's. Everybody says yes. And so I said, I said to the community, I, um, I'm running for woman of the year uh, to benefit leukemia and lymphoma society, the blood cancer researches and advocacy and all that. I was asked by the director to run and I've accepted it. I need a team of at least 10 people and about 20 people said, I, I'll be happy to help. Wow. And, and when I do lunches, I take my lunches to restaurant owners that I know, or maybe they're clients of mine to support them back. So I always bring people. And one day, two weeks ago, my friend Bobby, who owns this um, Thai restaurant, very popular Thai restaurant in town. And he, he says, you know, a lot of people in our network always come here and ask me for a donation and you never ask me for a donation. And I say, well, funny thing is I, now that you asked me to ask you, I'm going to ask you. <laughs> and he was like, tell me how much and I'll write the check. And I said, okay, well, I have a kickoff event to provide information to my team. Why don't you cater it? So he catered it for free. I mean, covered everything, brought the food. And um, now he's part of my team. He's going he's gonna to ask every single people that goes to his restaurant to donate between March 2nd to May 11. That is the campaign. It's a 10-week campaign to raise money for, to find, not only to find the cure for blood cancer, but to, to fund researches. Because blood is, so the blood is the, the fuel in our body, the things that runs through our veins, Right. And so in, in the quest of finding cure for blood cancer, the LLS, which is a Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, actually find cure for other cancers on the way to finding cure for blood cancer. So they have actually cured and healed a lot of other or found cure for other types of cancer because they're researching um, blood cancer, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, that's very close so, to my, that's very close to my heart. Cause my dad got pancreatic cancer out of nowhere. So, and that's one of those things that is hard to detect. So that's amazing. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah. I, I, I want to keep going on that. If you, I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh no, that's fine. And so a lot of us candidates, so there's 15 of us running for man of the year and woman of the year. And a lot of us, um, have reasons why, like, you know, you know, near and dear to your heart. And so when we had a team, like the entire LLS organization around this area, we had a team dinner last week and everybody, every candidate talked on the microphone and we were asked like, why are you doing this? You know, most of them have a cancer story, right? And for me, I said, you know, this is the problem with our society is because we don't take action and until it affects us. Like I want to be the solution before my kids start having cancer. Like why should I wait for cancer to hit home for me before I do something about it? So I don't have a story that you guys want to hear, 
I just know that if I do this, I'm sending energy out there that is hopefully going to avoid cancer to come home with me in my house or something like that. Like, I just want to be the solution to the problem. I don't want to wait until something happens to my family to take action. And, you know, it's a, it's, I guess it's a different answer that they've ever heard. And they were just like, wow, okay, this is different, you know? Yeah, so. no, I, um, I love that. And we'll, what we can do is link, you know, link the information in the, in the show notes so that people want to donate, they can, um, we can talk more about that after, but we'll make sure that people have that option. That's amazing. And I'm, yeah, wow. So you, you're getting a lot done. You're doing so much. Um, now just off, not off topic, but just something else. Like, so there's, there's, there's moms out there and they're, they've been talking, hearing a lot about entrepreneurship, starting their own business, doing this, doing that. What would, what mentor would you recommend for people? Because there's just so much information. There's so much stuff out there. Everybody's got a different mentor for you to recommend right now for somebody listening from a beginner's perspective or to a seasoned veteran, who would be a mentor that you would suggest that has maybe helped you you know, become who you are or, you know, that you can relate to in what you're doing? I would really say if like a physical mentor, I would identify like there's no one size fit all, obviously, because everybody's journey is different. Right. And the way that I would identify a mentor, which I have always done, is find somebody who has what you want and reach out to them and ask them if they could mentor you. Now, some of them might be thought leaders and you don't have access to them and you want to be like them, but they have success always leaves a trail, right? They have content that they put out all of the time, like focused on that someone that has what you want and, and do just that. But like in the network marketing industry, you can have access to a lot of other mentors that maybe are, you know, have been in the industry for 20 years. Find that person and ask that person if you can meet maybe 30 minutes a week to help you mentor and to hold you accountable because they have what you currently want. So that could be to anybody, whether they're, they're just now starting or they are seasoned entrepreneurs because there's always somebody more seasoned than you. Yeah. They're on a different chapter, right? Oh, this, I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to, I didn't know if we'd get into this or not, but tell us what you like about network marketing. Like, why is that something that is, is good for people? You know, like what is the, and and let's just, just talk about it because like there's a stigma with it. You know, there's Mm -hmm. all these different opinions and there's a lot of, there's a lot of network marketers Um, that are listening to this. Um, There's a lot of entrepreneurs. There's a lot of different things going on. Maybe just tell us about that and, you know, why it's powerful and maybe some misconceptions that you've learned along the way. You got it. So I want to finish my thought to the answer of the question you had prior to this topic, because I said like a physical mentor, find somebody that that has what you have. But then the other mentor is like a spiritual mentor and the best spiritual mentor you could ever have is yourself. And the way that you do that is you have to revisit your past and dig deeper of 
because everything that's happened to us is mentoring us to be the better version of us if we take it to that level sometimes we don't make it through to the other side and we talked about that on my podcast so use your adversities and your past as the mentor for you to move forward and give it a positive twist don't allow it to put you in deep depression to put you in like the negative side of the equation try to find a light to it it, because your purpose is somewhere in there. You just don't know it yet until you dig deep. So our life story is the greatest mentor spiritually. Oh, that's gold. That's so amazing. thank you. Network marketing. Yeah. Network marketing. You're full of golden nuggets here. Like I'm going to have to re-listen to this and, you know, oh. I love it. It's just so much value. And, you know, it's, I just appreciate it because, you know, this conversation, there's just been so much and I just, I love it because there's things that so many people can get from it. So, um, yeah, tell us about network marketing. And then I got one more question for you before we finish. Yeah. So it's funny because I posted something today and I, you know, cause you get new followers, you start growing your following as you put out value out there. I closed it with somebody asked me, what is my biggest regret? as an entrepreneur and part of my post, cause I introduced everything about me and my journey in a short format. And the way that I said that the, my biggest regret as an entrepreneur is, is being so prejudiced about network marketing for a very long time because a lot of us, and I'm sure like yourself, you go through that stage because of what was told to you based on the old version of network marketing because our grandpa and our grandma's network marketing is no longer the same as a network marketing. It has evolved to, to like a so much better system. So as a person that's super successful in the professional world and the corporate world, network marketing was below me. Like for me, it was like, yeah, that's, that's for, that's for the peasants, right? Type yeah. thing. Like it was like below me. That that's for people that will never make it. You know, I've already arrived. Like talking about cocky. Like I'm gonna. I always own this because I know I was like that, but I'm no longer like that now. But I also want to be transparent that that's how I looked at network marketing. But the minute that I actually was searching for something and the timing was just right and it came knocking on my door, I had more of an open mind because I was looking for some options. Because obviously the things that I've been doing in my life is not fulfilling me. I felt like I, or I know that I'm successful, but I don't feel like I am. And so when I was introduced to network marketing, I am thankful for the person that got me in because he never gave up on me because I always told them I I'll do this, but I'll never go to your meetings. I'll never go to any convention. I'll never go to any of these stuff because that's below me, right? It's woo woo. It's rah rah. It's all that because I have this different mindset, but he never gave up on me every single month. He invited me to something. And finally I told my husband, I'm just going to go because Patrick's never going to stop. So I'm just going to go just to let him know that I told you this doesn't work. 
So the minute that I went, there was this man, grown, grown man, vulnerability is powerful. He was on stage talking about his life, crying and weeping like a baby. And here I am watching him and I was crying and weeping like a baby for no reason. Like it's because I've had these bottled up hurt inside of me. And I think he finally gave me permission to do the same, to like, let it all go, just let it all go. And since then I just, this whole parachute in my mind open. And once I did that, the opportunity beyond network marketing, like right now we're talking and I'm able to talk to the world essentially. And the opportunity to be on Lewis house, Facebook, um, Instagram live, the opportunity to interview Karate Hadi on my podcast, who's a UFC 229 mom fighter. Um, the opportunity to interview Evan Carmichael. Like none of these opportunities, and I credit that to being open to network marketing. And none of these, none of the opportunity of me being so alive right now. I've never, I've never felt so alive in my life. Would have happened without me allowing myself to go into that part of this universe that we are so judgmental of, that we are so prejudiced of, because that was me before. But on the other side, you, you just become awakened to the truth. And I, and I have a lot of respect for people that are in network marketing because it's not easy to, it's not easy to run a business and to be an entrepreneur, and it creates another layer when you're in network marketing as an entrepreneur, because you're always being judged by whoever, you know? So you have, you have it tougher when you're an entrepreneur in a network marketing um, space. Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough. But the thing is about it is that people don't realize that, yeah, like, like I just want to touch on what you said, the old, the old way is so different because now – just to paint the picture for people now with social media and, and, you know, Facebook advertising and all that kind of stuff. And you can, you don't have to go after people that don't want this. You don't have to have your friends and family. You don't have to do that anymore because you know, you just find out people who are looking for something and you, you show them, you know, things that they want to see. That's the, that's why it's changed for me because that's why I was so skeptical when I got back into it because back in the day I used to have to be like, Oh, I got to, everybody thought I was going to try and sell them something. And, and that was never what I wanted. But now with the power of social media and the power of a following, you just show up being yourself and showing the progression and showing yourself in action and how much happier you've been. People want a piece of that. They go, what's up with this person? They're not selling me anything, but something's different. I want to know what that lifestyle is. And that's, that is why it's so different. And that is why, because, because the actions speak louder than words. You don't need to go up to people and sell them stuff. You just show the change in you. And if you see progression, they see you traveling. They see you doing all these things, meeting these people. You know, pot, putting podcasts on. Where do you think that started? You know, that's from the personal growth that it forces you into. And the amount of books and the amount of people that are at high, operating at high levels that you're introduced to. So it's, I, I love how you, you explained it so perfectly. And 
it's not going away and it's, it, people want to be independent. People want to be able to, you know, have something for themselves and, you know, break from the shackles of nine to five. Nine to five is good for some people. I'm not knocking it. It's great for some people. It's not great for others. So I love how you're able to embrace it. And there's so many people that are starting to understand the power of it. So thank you so much for diving in. Um, I got one more question we're going to finish off with here. Now you've kind of answered it throughout, but this, this is a, as soon as it comes to your head question. Okay. What is one thing that one tip that you would, that you can give to somebody to overcome adversity, to go on, to become amazing at whatever it is they do. What's the first thing you think of? It's temporary. Including success. Like, Adversity is temporary, and when you can immediately get the heck out of it and embrace it, the more you say, this is part of my life, and say, this is happening to me to prepare me for my next step or my next chapter in life, you you become unstoppable. When you see adversity as a message versus a a challenge per se. It's more of a message because when you pray to God or when you meditate to the universe or for whatever, whoever you believe in, they can't, you can't call them on the telephone and say, Hey, this is my ask. You can only say it out loud or say it in meditation or say it in prayer, whatever it is, you can just send the energy and then the energy doesn't come back as like a exciting stuff it comes back as an adversity because it's stretching you and it's giving you that if it's like working out in order for you to build muscles you have to have resistance training and your adversities is your resistance training so so that you can be stronger and prepared for your next chapter in your life so it's temporary if you just embrace it and say, we can do this, this is all, this is all the message and just like stop and, and think of, okay, what is the message here and how can I take this to the next level so that I can be badass when I go to the next chapter versus, try, versus crawling on the corner, feeling sorry for yourself because poor me, poor me, this is all happening to me and you have a pity party it's you're wasting time, right? So just know it's temporary. That's the easiest and one probably a quickest thing, but I wanted to elaborate on how temporary it really is. I love it. And I love how you said adversity is like resistance training for your life. (laughs) That's so good. That's so good. Thank you so much. Now, this is, the, this is the time where we can, I want to plug you. I want to make sure everybody can clearly find you. Everything will be in the show notes, but, you know, where can we find you? And, you know, where can people connect with your amazing, um, your amazing content and everything you do? Absolutely. Thank you for giving me the space, Lance, to, to share my story and to really, like, have the opportunity to heal because every time I share those stories, I just get better and better. Right. And I heal more and more and the healing process is going to be forever, but we get better at it. So everybody can find me all throughout my social media. I'm at Kareen Mills. That's K-A-R-E-E-N-M-I-L-L-S. And then I'm transitioning and rebranding my, my website to motherhustlernation.com. And that's still under construction, but hopefully 
um, later on this month or next month, it'll be live with all the things that I'm doing. Again, that's motherhustlernation.com. And that's about it. I hang out a lot on Facebook and Instagram. And again, that's at Kareen Mills. And don't forget, I'm always on my podcast as well, just like you, being Mother Hustler on iTunes, Spotify, and eight other platforms. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for, for being here and being so authentic. And um, it, was, it was just so great to share space with you and have this conversation because I, I, you know, I managed, we, we managed to talk a lot longer than I thought. And it was just, it seemed like it was like five minutes. So I'm just really appreciate it. And I'm sure the authenticity that you show to people, they'll be able to tell in the conversation. And that's why it's so important for the show. So thank you so much, everybody. Kareen Mills. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you got some value from that. Without you guys, this is impossible. So I really, really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode and got value from it, go ahead and rate it, review it, hit that subscribe button. We want to get this to as many people as possible. We want this thing to grow. So go ahead, rate, review, subscribe. And I can't wait for the next episode. Thank you so much. You just finished another class at the University of Adversity. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and tune in again next time for more life lessons with Lance ECOs.